Well, it was my pleasure uh, and a, a great opportunity to be able to travel to the country of Hungary. They, uh, it's basically, I guess you could say, between France and Russia, if you want to be really uh, general, or France and U- Ukraine. Uh, just to give you a little bit of an idea, uh, the country is pretty much uh, on the 45th parallel latitude-wise, so it would be like the northern part of the United States. Uh, but it is pretty much uh, sheltered far enough from from water that uh, it, it has a, a relatively seasonal climate. Uh, it uh, to, to Just to give you a rough estimate, you're going to have your first frost in the fall sometime in October and the last in the spring sometime in April. So not too much different than a lot of parts of the U.S. in that regard, but they do get about 20, 22 inches of rainfall. And, again, that can be more or less depending where you're at in the country, but that's the average rainfall, and they tend to get less over summer. So water issues are more on the dry side of trying to retain moisture. So that's just a little bit of a history of of the country and and where it's at and and you know some of the agriculture and, and so forth that's there. So uh, one of the things that I quickly noticed was that plowing is a common sight. And I, uh, as a no-till farmer, long-term no-till farmer, was uh, quite amazed at the degree of plowing that was done. I don't think I have ever been to a place that I have saw so much moldboard plowing. Uh, this picture here is as far as you can see, uh, and it even goes both sides, left and right. 90% of, of the fields are moldboard plowed. The crop that's uh, not like you know winter wheat that's planted in the fall, of course, but um, before their corn and sunflowers and so forth, it's it's plowed and. I did quickly find out that no-till meant no plowing, not necessarily no tillage. So that was one definition that I had to clarify, at least the way I used the word. And um, so so just some of the nuances of when you travel to other countries and how the definitions are. This picture here, I think, really represents uh, what I saw. Um, you have your cover crop there on the right. On the left was uh, obviously moldboard plowing. And in spite of the fact that there is a lot of tillage, the interest is certainly and clearly growing when it comes to talking about cover crops and no-till. The first farm that uh, maybe I'll back up a little bit and say that I went there for the first ever soil health conference ever held in the country of Hungary. And so that was a kind of a monumental uh, foundation of, of, of there's enough interest now to hold a conference on that topic. And it was uh, my, my trip was arranged and set up uh, by a fellow who's also a part of our inner group our innovator group here, uh, Sambor, which I'll show you a picture of him later, and he might be able to hop on the call here. Hopefully he can later. Um, 
But we went to the very first farm. We, we visited four farms and one research facility. And I was, I was told that there, he was hoping for a few farmers at each farm. We pulled in the driveway at the first farm and there was, it turned out to be 72 farmers. So, um, I was surprised. He said he was shocked. Uh, so we got started off in a good note, and I'll just say that the, the four farms we visited, it was between 50 and 80 on each farm. So the interest, and I would have to say curiosity, is growing, no doubt about it, but uh, just in the embryonic stage. It's just starting, which for me, uh, I will say, created a little bit of a challenge because the knowledge and experience of how to do cover crops has there's there hasn't been a lot of it in the country. It's only been two or three years that they even really had cover crops. So just starting very basic and trying to, in in essence, uh, share that it is possible to use cover crops and still grow a cash crop. Some of those simple fundamental things that. I have experienced to be successful. You kind of got to step back in order to go through the process. Where do you start and what do you do? How do you do it? But any of you have, uh, who have seen me in action, I always have a shovel with me and I'm always digging and they kind of started joking about it later on about me going to the field and, and digging. Um, I, I uh, will say that the soil to me, seemed very well, very good. Uh, so I think there's a lot of potential there to take it up to the next level in regards to soil health and so forth. And um, so just explaining, digging and explaining, showing earthworms, and uh, which we did find a few, uh, but just explaining how the different cover crops work and so forth was what my role was is to, in, in order to uh, kind of stimulate the interest in cover crops and help them know how to use it. And, yeah, um, my first shovelful in the country of Hungary did yield an earthworm, I, which was kind of nice. Uh, I will say that not all uh, shovelfuls of dirt did I find them, so they were definitely there. But just explaining how that's important to as an indicator of soil health and how earthworms can benefit them in order to be able to reduce tillage and just go over some of those kind of fundamental basics of what cover cropping can do. So it was, it was in a way very, uh, very gratifying for me to experience this. Um, but then to help explain what the, the different functions of different cover crops are. And I still think no matter where you guys are and, and what you're doing, if you're a farmer, if you're an educator, can't forget the basics, and um, of, of course, new things are being developed all the time with cover crops, new species, and so forth. But don't forget some of the basics because there's always new farmers coming on. I just have a neighbor here that's very close to me who knows me well, but has not been a cover crop farmer, and just recently came to me asking me some very basic questions. And uh, so, don't take for granted just because. A large part of your area is using cover crops that everyone knows uh, what you think they may know. So um, uh, Sambor's company is um, Demeter. 
there you can see the the sign there. They had some field trials with different cover crop mixes. And uh, I was pleased to see that that was occurring already. And this was just really good to be able to walk through the different mixes and to be able to explain the rationale behind some of these mixes and and, and then pretty much that the whole uh, movement in cover crops is pretty much gravitating toward mixes. Uh, but I also said that you and, and I say this still all the time that if you really want to experience cover crops, uh, planting a, a radish is one of the best ways to experience the dynamics of what a cover crop can do in one year. Uh, so emphasizing that uh, if mixes confuse you, you want to uh, use a radish would be a good way to start as long as you're in the planting window of uh, when that radish needs to be planted. Uh, some of the things that were, I guess you'd say, reinforced to me and what I came home with is the need to expand the, the species here in, in my area of influence. And um, one of the thing, one of the species that I saw again was lupins. I, I really like lupins and I've, I've, I've played around with them for probably 10 years now. One of the things I like it is it's a unique legume in that it requires its own specific inoculant. Uh, a pea inoculant or a vetch inoculant won't work on lupins, but it is a legume, so it produces nitrogen. And I actually saw this uh, selection that I'm holding here was a, was a different uh, selection of lupin that I had seen before. The seeds, instead of being round, as I had known lupin seeds, similar to a pea, the seeds were a little flat. And so it seemed to be a bigger, more aggressive plant. And uh, so I was there to learn as well, and I think there could be some selection here of certain species that may be good. Uh, lupins always do have a nice taproot to them. It's an erect legume, meaning it's it can grow straight up and won't go in the ground like a pea or a vetch will. So adding lupins into a mix is good to help some of those other legumes stay up, right, because they will grow better if they're allowed to trellis and something else. Of course, you can have cereal rye or other things that uh, a viney legume could trellis, but that's always a good thing. And we talk about synergism in, in cover crops. To have a couple selections of erect legumes is always a good thing to have in that mix. And lupins tend to kill about the mid-teens, same as a radish pretty much. Uh, and so they can grow, you know, into, into the winter. And so it gives us a, a decent amount of growing time. Uh, the next one I want to highlight uh, is Phasalia. And every time I go to Europe, I always come back resolute to use more of it. Uh, it's very popular over there. It's in the top five of the popular cover crops. It's basically put in every every mix that you can plant there in the fall. Uh, it, it's really its claim to fame is is two things. It, it enhances soil aggregation. And the picture there, straight below the the words, you can see some of the fine root hairs that are growing even near the soil surface. And if you're trying to transition a soil that's been beat up by tillage. If you did like a waterway or something like that and or, or or did some work in your fields or whatever, you want to use Vesalia to be able to get that soil aggregation back as quick as possible. Again, it's kind of a unique species. It's not a legume. It's not a grass. Uh, you can see a picture of it there on the, the right. 
but it also its claim to fame is how it attracts beneficial insects when the nice purple flower comes out. And you can plant it very early in the spring, as soon as you can get in the ground, if you have that option. Um, actually, I was share a little bit before we started recording this that, that I just planted some uh, cover crops here at the end of November. And I did one of my last passes. I threw in some phacelia to see if it's going to survive. Because now as late as we are in the end of November here, it may survive and grow next spring. Uh, I've done this a couple times, but uh, the other window of opportunity is to plant in uh, later in the summer. It grows into the fall. It loves cooler weather. It doesn't do so good in the heat of summer. Uh, but when it does have a chance to bloom, you will attract bees like no other crop. Uh, and other beneficial insects as well. So again, I was, you know, I saw it there in Hungary, one of the ones that they're working, uh, utilizing and, uh, something that if you ever get a chance to use it, it would be fantastic, I think, to try. Uh, the other one that I really want to spend a little time here is fava beans. They, again, are very popular in Europe. And I saw them again. Uh, but just look at that picture there. The thing that stands out to me, is of course you can see the the nodules there. They're not cleaned off very well, but you can see them. But the roots, look at them roots. How the mycorrhizae is colonized around there. How all that little um, I'll, I'll just call it soil particles are sticking to the roots. That's essentially the mycorrhizae effect. You can actually see it. And so they're very a very good host for mycorrhizae, and that's that's a good thing. Uh, but again, they're an erect legume that. In some cases, has shown to provide as much nitrogen in the uh, in the fall as hairy vetch would. Now, hairy vetch tends to uh, overwinter in most areas, but even if you'd plant hairy vetch early, a fava bean will probably outdo it with nitrogen production because it will winter kill in a couple nights in the mid-teens. I like to say it's like the fall version of sun hemp. So um, fava beans, again, I came back like I gotta just grow more of them uh, here at my own farm. The big problem with fava beans is the seed size. The seeds are like two to three times the size of peas, uh, at least normal uh, seeds, although there's efforts being made to grow uh, and use smaller seeded fava beans. I think if that occurs, if we can get some good varieties of smaller seeds, it will become more economical and become more popular as a cover crop. Uh, the other thing, too, that was uh, very interesting, we had penetrometers at all with us, and we were able to check the soil to see where any hard pans were. And uh, in this one field where there was some different uh, cover crops, there was a clear hard pan at about six inches. Maybe it could have been an old plow pan. I don't know. But this is where you could clearly see the differences in radishes. Um, and... In this case, the oil seed radish is the one on the right, which has more of a branchy root system, and a tillage radish or a daikon type radish is on the left. And and that's it was just clear uh, where you have the genetics of a daikon type radish can penetrate down through hard pans better. Now that doesn't mean that an oil seed is no good because it provides other benefits uh, to the soil as well. So there's it, we're not saying. Uh, one is necessarily better than the other, but if you're going after compaction, you want to focus on more of a cover crop daikon type radish.
that's why we have to understand some of these species and what they can and cannot do. Um, the, the oil seed has been known for more, potentially more nematode suppression and maybe even glucosinolate production and stuff like that. So, um, but I will say is that radish on the right is about half the price of the radish on the left. So what are you trying to accomplish? Uh, if you're trying to alleviate soil compaction with the radish because you heard about it, your half price radish will be cost you a lot more. Uh, so, and this is just a function of understanding what you're buying and what you have. So that was just one of the more vivid examples that I've, that I've seen, uh, for a while. Uh, we also stopped in to a, uh, a place that was doing some research. And, uh, what they were doing here is research on cover crops with fertilizer and cover crops without fertilizer. Uh, the best um, view of this is is kind of, I'll call it toward the middle there. That was actually cereal rye. Uh, that plot in, the, in the, the closest to us here had some fertilizer on it, uh, and the plot in the back uh, did not. But they were also testing the, the, the value of legumes uh, planted. This is all in the context of growing potatoes here. This is a potato region. So a lot of this would will get plowed down uh, eventually, but it was just good to see there's a that there's some research going on and uh, just being identifying the effects of legumes and also fertilizer. That's something that I think we need to continue to fine tune wherever you're at. Uh, I feel personally I'm very confident in saying that cover crops make fertilizer more efficient. To the degree that occurs, it's going to be a lot of variables, uh, but it's nonetheless uh, something that we need to keep uh, looking at. So I was uh, impressed with uh, with Sambor's company. Uh, he's, he sells uh, cover crop seeds and mixes. And uh, for those of you who know my history and my development of the tillage radish and everything, it uh, it was just kind of nice to go over there and, and to be able to see it being used in that country. So... But, but more than that, just to see that the, the fledgling industry of cover cropping that is beginning in another country and to be a part of that, uh, was, is, is actually an honor and I really appreciated the opportunity. So some of the challenges that are clearly there that I saw was, uh, varying soil types and I know that we all deal with this, but I gotta tell you, I saw a field that I, have never seen the dramatic difference in one field. And you can just see there uh, the, the difference. And if I'd show you a close-up of the middle part, you would see that soil is darker, but it's it's all, it's all a sandy soil. And obviously you see where it's, it's somewhat eroded there in the, in the top right where it was eroded. But that's a stark difference there in soil health, soil quality, and soil fertility. So the question was, and I actually posted this picture on Facebook, if you haven't seen it, and asked, what would you advise a farmer if you saw this? And we we were out there in the field, and we had quite a bit of discussion. Uh, every farmer has uh, different things available to him. My first question was, do you have the availability of animal manure? And he had very little, very little, just some sheep manure, not much at all. Uh, so that basically did not answer his question then the question was and we had quite a conversation on 
is this a place where it would pay to fertilize cover crops or at least to fertilize the, the poor performing areas, which were very dramatic there? And I, I would say, yes, it is. This is where you would consider fertilizing. Now, obviously, there's, there's uh, undoubtedly probably nitrogen, but to take some soil tests there of the good parts versus the poorer parts would be very uh, prudent to do, to be able to get a handle if that's exactly what it is and to be able to apply those uh, nutrients uh, as needed. But, um, and then the question is, well, do you, is, is a, if you fertilize a cover crop and spend the money, will you get that back? And our, our answer is yes, you probably will because it's an investment. So we're trying to even up this field, many different factors. Uh, but I would also say that this was probably not the most ideal choice of cover crop here. It was pretty much straight mustard, which mustard is, is, is a decent cover crop, but there should have been some legumes here, uh, and also some more grassy type, higher C to N ratio legumes. So this, I, this is one of my favorite pictures of the trip because I think, uh, it's, it's a kind of situation I just wish I could manage it for five or ten years to see what I could do. Uh, but because this field is relatively poor, but I think with cover crops and good fertility management, you really could bring this around. So if any of you have any other ideas of what would you recommend for a field like this, what would, if you were consulting that farmer, what would you recommend? Uh, uh, you know, post it on Facebook or something. I wouldn't mind hearing or when we're done here, maybe we can discuss it a little bit. But, um, so anyway, that was, there was just a couple things in my trip that was I had never seen before like that. The other thing is I had mentioned that this is the the reason why I went there uh, to to speak at a meeting, and uh, the room was literally packed as you can see, and uh, I would say pretty much wrapped attention uh, as I was speaking. It was kind of nice to have simultaneous translation, so it was very efficient, and uh, had several different interviews. There, the ag press seemed to be very interested, and I was happy to see that because that's that's a part of it. And and as as I've experienced here in America, the ag press has been very friendly to cover crops and soil health, and I was just glad to experience it there as well. Um, there was just another dynamic that I kind of had a laugh um, because it took me back <laughs> five to ten years ago. And that was different farmers bringing in their radishes to show me. I remember that happened frequently for me, uh, yeah, like I said, 10 years ago. But uh, some of these guys were just bringing them there and uh, actually insisting that I keep them, which I, I couldn't, of course, bring it home. But uh, it was just kind of a – it just kind of brought back some good memories uh, to me, and I, I just enjoyed that that aspect of it. Uh, what they ended up doing with this radishes – is cutting it up and handing it out to people to eat, to taste it. And uh, for those of you who don't know, these type of radishes can be eaten. And uh, if, if you like radishes, that is. There could be a little bit of a, a zing to it, uh, depending on several factors, but that's where this radish finally ended up. Uh, just uh, also gone beyond uh, the borders of Hungary, there was uh, two gentlemen there that drove five hours from Serbia, and sometimes we, we just hear these countries in the news or in history and so forth, but to to have these guys walk up to you and say they're from Ter Serbia, 
um, and they knew enough English that we could we were able to uh, to talk a little bit. It was just really cool to be able to experience other countries that have an interest in in cover crops. And I'll just mention one other fellow here uh, too that literally drove ten hours. Uh, I think around seven eight hundred miles, I believe, uh, from Switzerland and from where we were located. And he was a gentleman I actually had met in the States here in 2012, he reminded me. Uh, but uh, just, to, just to hear, again, about cover cropping and no-till in Switzerland. I mean, I think of Switzerland, I'm thinking of mountains. I'm thinking of the Alps. But Switzerland actually is one of the leaders in Europe for no-till and cover crop. So um, it was just good to, to reconnect with this guy. And another thing, for those of you who are on Facebook, saw this picture. Now, depending on the settings of your computer or not, this is actually uh, this is actually meeting till after dark, and I mean dark. We were out in the field, and the guys just wanted to keep talking, and uh, just to see that kind of um, that kind of response. And, and it's like 35 degrees here. Now, now one day it was really cold and windy, and it was it was really chilly. But uh, this wasn't like a warm, uh, nice, cozy evening at all. But just to see that interest and to experience the enthusiasm and all the questions and everything was was certainly um, that was just stimulating to me. It just made me feel like it was it was worth my time to go and all that. And um, yeah, this is just one of the farms where we showed up to, and only expecting a few people. And lo and behold, you know, there's anywhere between 50 and 80 people at the four farms I, we showed up. Um, so, uh, and, and there was no free food given out. There was, it was, there was no gimmicks. There was, it was just show up. We want to talk about cover crops, and they're there. And that I think was some of the highlights for me just to experience that. Um, so just in summary, uh, my challenge to them simply was let's try to get away from our intensive tillage and let's try uh, to use more cover crops. And I just want to also give uh, a public uh, thank you to uh, Sambor, who is with me there, and uh, he's just doing a fantastic job, I would say, paving the way for cover crop uses in that part of the world. And uh, he's a part of our group here, and uh, it was just good to be able to meet him and experience his enthusiasm and so forth. So I'm uh, that that pretty much wraps up my uh, my portion. I'm sure you might have a few questions. I'm on muting everybody now. If you want to ask a question, type in the chat uh, or whatever. Um, be glad to hear from you. So does anyone have a question? Regarding my uh, what I've shared about Hungary, Hungary is part of the EU. It is, uh, and it yes, it is. There's there's kind of different. I don't fully understand. I think there's like a different ranking in some of the members, but just as also a bit of history, Hungary was a part of the former Soviet Union up until 1989, and uh, after that, there definitely were dramatic changes that occurred. Uh, for them, for for more freedom to farm and 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 a lot of not a lot of freedoms in a lot of other ways, but um, so yes, it is a part of the EU. Did they uh, talk about um, in 2020 the EU um, going to wants to be at 20% cover crops 
and that they're going to, to subsidize that? Yes, uh, that was that was discussed um, currently, and this is what's it's interesting. It's it's a little complex, and I can't say I fully understand it. But currently, I heard anywhere from five to ten percent of acres needed to be planted in a cover crop in the fall. Now that is, and again, it does vary by region, uh, but it's typically in the month of September, October. Then in November, you can plow it all up. So hmm. I guess you'd say that's a start, but that's where I saw plows running everywhere. I saw four, diff- I saw, excuse me, two different fields where I saw four tractors and plows in the same field. Um, I don't know. I lost track of how many plows I saw, but they're plowing everything up now. Uh, that's just what historically they've done. And that's going to be a, a challenge probably to be able to get them comfortable with less tillage. I'll give you a quick uh, example. I, I said in the beginning I had to redefine no-till because I, I soon found out their definition of no-till me- meant no moldboard plowing. And um, this one guy said he tried to do no-till. And I think it was pretty legit no-till. And I said, well, was your planner set up for it? And uh, again, it's through translation and everything. So sometimes nothing, it doesn't get, uh, you know, your thought doesn't get clearly communicated, but he indicated it was. And then when I went back to the farm, I asked to see his planter and, um, his row cleaners were basically a, a V, um, uh, metal thing. It wasn't any wheels on it at all just to move away clods. And that planter was as conventional as I've ever seen a planter. That doesn't mean it couldn't work, but with residue, I, I, I can almost, you know, assured him that you need to clean the row off, especially for what he was trying to do. So um, all these definitions and everything are important to, to understand. But uh, so, yeah, uh, as, as far as, that, that's why the room was packed. That's why everyone was coming because they know that something is going to happen. It's going to be ramping up. And they've heard about cover crops from around the world. And, and that's why the huge interest. But for them, it's coming as essentially a mandate. And some of them are, are, are just looking at it. Well, just tell me what I got to do and, and I'll do it. Others are saying, well, I think this is a potential here to, potentially reduce my nutrient applications, potentially to increase my soil water holding capacity, which is what they're looking for. And that's what I tried to focus on, um, not just to plant cover crops just because the government tells you to, but to be able to utilize them uh, and so forth. So great question there, Mark. Other questions? Do you have a question, Cliff? No, that was answered on the tillage part of it, how yeah. to get that through to them. That was going to be crucial. Yeah, and, and um, I'll just mention that I uh, drove to 100 miles to the west and 100 miles then to the to the south. No, 100 miles to the east and 100 miles southeast, southwest, excuse me, of Budapest. So I, I got to see approximately 200 miles of, of farmland uh, collectively, and it's gently rolling, as you saw some of the pictures. I didn't see any real steep areas. So soil erosion is not a huge concern. 
wind erosion is more of a concern. Uh, and they're both, of course, detrimental. But that's just because of the lower rainfall and so forth. That's just uh, where they're at. And this is where cover crops can help, especially in the fall uh, and over winter. Sometimes when you don't have snow cover, that that wind doesn't just blow away that soil. Other questions? Anybody? What is what is their typical rotation then? Um, well, they're the main, the top four or five crops would be winter wheat, oilseed, rape, sunflowers, and corn. There's a few people starting to try some soybeans. Um, so that's, that's becoming, uh, that's kind of like, I guess you would say the, the most cover crop that's advancing. Uh, they do have a little shorter growing season because of their latitude a little further north, which I, it's, Kind of like on the latitude of the Dakotas, uh, it doesn't get as cold there as the Dakotas would for comparison. But latitude-wise and day length and all that stuff, you can kind of associate that there. So, soybeans are starting to starting to come in. Um, and I'll just make a comment: this this one guy, his soybean field, um, he had it all disc up, and I, I was like, "Why did you disc this?" And he said, "Because that's what we do." And I said, well, this is an, this is an opportunity after soybeans where it's easier to no-till. Well, that was a, that was a new concept. Um, mm-hmm. so, so hopefully next year at least try it. I told him next year at least try it on a couple passes. So. Other questions? I'm going to open it up to any question at all, if you have any, uh, beyond just this topic here. I wanted to um, also uh, let us know that next week what our topic's going to be, uh, managing herbicides and growing cover crops. How do you think about the herbicides you use when you grow cover crops? This is a picture of one of our members, Lauren Steinlegge, uh, in, in, in his farm, um, so it's a it's definitely an important topic uh that I want to cover uh next week. But so yeah, any other question any of you have uh on anything, any cover crop topic, of course if something about hungry, feel free. Uh but any other cover crop question, anything you heard about this past week or you want to ask? Okay. Anyone have a question? Steve, I just got back from Romania really? and uh, Bulgaria uh, about 10 days ago. Okay, just south of Hungary. Yeah. Yes. They butt up together. Yeah. I didn't get – I didn't get, I mainly spoke to conferences and, and to producers, mm-hmm. but I didn't get out on the farmland much mm-hmm. at all. Okay. And there's a, there's a huge desire to change. Mm-hmm. They just don't know how to change. Well – I think that's accurate uh, from what I experienced as well. Is there any other things that you would like to just to share that you that you noticed or heard that would be helpful to understand? The soybeans were only planted under irrigation mm-hmm. because of the dry July and August. Essentially, they don't get any rain, and the temperatures right. are very high um, at that particular time. So they're in in the thing that. Everybody in in the EU gets a a base mm-hmm. uh, subsidy, mm-hmm. and then if you grow oilseed crops, you get another subsidy. Mm-hmm. 
and it's bigger than the first subsidy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, their focus is to grow oilseed crops mm-hmm. and they just don't have the, 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 uh, proper climate to grow soybeans. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, the people were just great. I've never experienced so many people wanting that were just super good. Yeah. And, uh, I was just blessed to be able to go. Good. Well, I'm glad you had that opportunity. It's it's just good to get out of our own little world sometimes, isn't it? Hell yeah, yeah. But but you know what's interesting, Mark? Um, you know you know you've traveled there. A lot of us here have, but a lot of the challenges are almost identical in principle, anyway. That everywhere there's challenges, everywhere there's benefits, and be able to, to be able to see that, understand it. It just makes me even a, a, a deeper believer in the whole value of cover crops. That no matter where you go, there's a place for them that they're going to be, they're going to help the farmer, help the soil. After well, I spoke the one time, the, uh, there was four large producers that quizzed me for five hours straight. Yep. I mean, uh-huh. they just, <laughs> they just drove me till I was exhausted mm-hmm. and uh, all together they farmed those that group farmed 450,000 acres mm-hmm. and they were oh. looking to change yep isn't that something it's, it's yep. blowing blows yep. my mind yep yep <laughs> yeah I guess for you in the scope of your operation you felt like you were a gardener yeah <laughs> I was the smallest one there isn't that something <laughs> Yeah, uh, for those of you who don't know, Mark farms around 20,000 acres, so that's an understatement. <laughs> anyway, Dan, I see you have your mic on. You must have a question. Well, yeah, I was just curious. I I, I got in late, so I yeah. uh, apologize if this is right. redundant, but that discussion about soybeans yeah. out there in Hungary, uh, what about canola? Wouldn't that be a better fit? Yeah, they and, and I, yeah, they that is one of their big crops. Um, it's their, I think, number number okay. two crop, maybe. So yeah, that's that is very very popular there. So you're correct. the The thing of it is, they want to try soybeans to diversify a little bit, and and there's there's a there's a good point to that. But um, even uh, even my time in France, soybeans have been somewhat difficult to grow. I mean, if they get fifty bushels, sixty bushel, that's a huge yield. Now. I'm sure genetics are involved, but you know, they are pretty far north. I mean, you, you, you look at a map, and you go through France and Hungary and those areas, even Romania and down into Bulgaria. That's all north of the – almost of the Corn Belt. So day length, uh, even though they have greater day length in, in June and July, but it trails on quickly uh, in the fall. And I, I think they're losing sunlight. Uh, I think that's part of it. Um, so anyway, that's just. But yeah, they're 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 definitely trying. But I would have to say genetics is is also maybe uh, another factor of trying to get some of the best genetics uh, there. Um, you know, it hasn't probably occurred yet. Other questions? Anybody? Well, okay. Um, if not, it's been um, just a pleasure again to have you guys on. I enjoy, enjoy coming here every week. And um, 
certainly appreciate your, your sacrifice and time and support in this group. So uh look forward to seeing you next week. We'll have this thing recorded and sent out later today, hopefully, or tomorrow. In the meantime, guys, hey. have a great Thanksgiving. Hey, Steve. Yeah, go ahead, Dan. Well, again, I missed the earlier part. I would, could you give me a, and we could just talk afterwards okay. if, if that would be better, but the, the fava beans, I'd like to kind of get up to speed. Uh, I'm very curious about that one and, and you really peaked it with this and, uh, yeah. uh, I'd like to see where you sure. the fit it is. We have, we have a little time here yet. Um, yeah, I did, I did go through that. I have a slide on that. And, um, the thing about it is every time I go to Europe, there's fava beans, fava beans, fava beans. There's fava beans. They're there. They're being used. The big question here, I'll say in the States, is the seed size is so large, and then that equates the cost per acre, and the transportation cost of, the, of a per acre basis is just too high. Everybody agrees that fava beans is a great species, but the seed size has been the biggest barrier. And uh, they are working on smaller seeds. I know of several different efforts. I actually have a few sitting on my desk here that are about the size of peas that I'm going to uh, test early next year to see how they grow in our condition. Uh, so I think if we solve the seed size issue, it's going to bring fava beans into the equation uh, because they can produce a boatload of nitrogen. Um, and there, there's some winter hard, there's some varieties now that are going to be winter hardy that'll survive. I'm just going to say basically maybe south of I-70, they may survive the winter, which opens up a fall planting. It's a pretty tough seed. I do know in France, if they sow them deep in, uh, end of November, beginning of December, if you can get in the ground, they'll pop out of the ground first thing in the spring. Uh, they say the key is to plant them two inches deep at that time. Um, I'm actually going to be planting some. I want, I want to try to do it here at the end of this week, the end of November here, uh, just to see if I can if I can repeat that here. Uh, so they're also very good at hosting mycorrhizal, uh, mycorrhizae, and I showed a picture that you could see that on. Um, but so that this is nitrogen production. It's an upright or an erect legume, which I it's kind of nice. Uh, you can just add it to your mix so that. Uh, peas or hairy vetch can trellis up it, and uh, you can put some, of course, you can put some grasses in there like triticale or cereal to do the same thing, but it's a legume that's upright. Uh, another thing that uh, one of the other presenters at the conference from from um, France, uh, a gal by the name of Sarah Singla, if you ever get to hear her, she's been to the U.S. a couple times. She's going to be at no-till on the plains the end of uh, Feb- again of January. Very, very good presenter. She has her own farm in France, and she was showing the benefits of the fava beans. When they are winter killed, they turn black, and the leaves particularly turn black. And she shows some pictures of corn that actually came up quicker where the fava beans were planted because she said the soil was a little warmer because of the blackness that it drew in sunlight. I don't think that's a big uh Big deal, but anyway, it's 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 a plus. So that's some of the basics of uh, of fava beans. Um, so any any uh, opportunities for fava beans with interseeding? Good question. We need to try it. We need to try it. Um, I don't think I've ever tried them, to my knowledge. At least I don't remember that I did. 
because they would last. <laughs> they would last till like Christmas almost in a good part of the area. It takes the mid-teens to take them out. Most most average varieties. They're working on some varieties that they claim would get down to single digits to survive. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but again, it's that big seed. That's the uh, the and the cost because they haven't been. We haven't ramped up commercial production for cover crops with fava beans yet. And where, where, not, are they, where are they? Where are they growing them? Proceed. Canada is a good place to grow them here in North America. Um, it just because they're, they they tend to attract uh, aphids, uh, which I've actually been some organic people have used fava beans as a deterrent in gardens and small market gardens to attract aphids. Um, that being said, in a mix, you don't have to worry about aphids getting out of control. Uh, but to grow them for seed production, and I tried to do it years ago. And and I just had this little tiny plot, and the aphids just come in there and just just were all over them. I generally don't have aphid problems. I don't. I, I but but there again on a very small plot, they seem to attract them in from miles around. Um, so I think it's difficult to grow the seed, except in drier climates. And um, fava beans are used quite extensively in the southern provinces of Canada as a protein source because they won't freeze out on a late frost or an early frost like soybeans do. Soybeans are too risky. So fava beans are a tremendous protein source. They're used in southern Canada as protein for feed. And, of course, they're also used for human consumption in some countries as well. So it's certainly a very popular crop, but the seed size has has caused a – Suppression of use in cover crop situations. I, I'm, I'm. How big? How big is? How big is the seed? Well, the small. When I say the small seeds, the the smallest fava bean seed you can get is probably bigger than the biggest pea you'll ever see. To give you an idea, mm. um, so if we, if we can get them to twelve to fifteen hundred seeds per pound, that's really good. But fava beans can be seven hundred seeds per pound. Which I don't know what to really compare that to, but I would say two times, three times as big as a pea. And you have to plant like a hundred pounds per acre then. And that's just prohibitive. That's like a single species. Um, so, so that's where it's at. That's pretty much where it's at. So do you have any questions, Shen? I see you're still on. Anything else, Dan? Yeah, can you tell me how did they come up with the name? They call it Hungary. That seems a strange name for a country. I don't know. I, I thought of asking that a couple times, but I got to tell you one thing, Dan. I did not go hungry. I, I love you the did. food. I love the food, and uh, no problem there. I don't know. I guess there's, a, there's an answer somewhere. I'll just say go Google it and find out. I don't know the answer. It, I'll get it, back to you. There you go. Let us know. Yeah, so, Okay. Well, hey, thanks a lot. Appreciate everyone's involvement here, and uh, have a happy Thanksgiving. And we'll plan to uh, be back next week. Thanks a lot.